Well, we're in a part three today of our series called Church Sucks When, and we're going to see how it sucks when it's all about money. Now, the sad truth is, mention the M word in church, and immediately uh, some people's blood pressure begins to rise. Nothing pushes people's hot buttons more than bringing up money in church. I know, I've been there. Uh, years ago, uh, friends of mine, Mike and Heather, were part of our church. Actually, Heather came for a long time, and Mike didn't know Jesus. He wasn't a Christ follower yet. And she came, uh, very, very faithfully came, and she would ask Mike, you want to go to church? No. Want to go to church? No. Well, finally one week, Mike said, yes, I'll go to church with you. I don't know if she wore him down or if it was God or a little bit of both, but Mike finally decided he would come to church with his wife. Well, uh, Heather, all week long, her number one prayer was, oh God, oh God, oh God, please don't let Kurt talk about money. Because <laughs> Mike had issues with uh, people and pastors and churches, and he was, uh, she was concerned that he'd show up, and if I talked about money, that would drive away. Well, guess what I talked about that day? <laughs> and you know what's the coolest thing in the world is that uh, God got a hold of that guy's heart, and Mike became a, a, a passionate follower of Jesus, and they live in Iowa now, but they're still a, a, a serving and loving Jesus. And I know, and I know that some of you are visiting today. This is your first time here. You finally got your friend to come, and you're thinking, oh, shoot, Kurt's talking about the M word. I understand, and I can relate. Believe it or not, I really can relate to some of the tension. Uh, I don't know, probably uh, a couple weeks ago, I was working out Saturday morning, and I'm on my cheap little elliptical I have at home, and I like to turn on the idiot box, and, and I was looking for something to watch. Football was, you know, college football was over, unfortunately. Go Ducks, though. But yeah, I was, I was, I was not uh, able to find anything. So I'm channel surfing, and I know that drives some of you wise crazy, but that's what we guys do. It's like hunting for us. And I'm, I'm hunting for something to watch. And I land finally on this, this religious channel. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was or what channel. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to speak evil of this guy. But what he did really pushed my button. He's talking on this program about, please just send me a, your $1,000 seed money, your $1,000 gift. And if you do, God will bless you. In fact, then he told this thing. He said, if, uh, I sense right now that there's someone watching that that you're a businessman, and if you will just support this ministry with your $1,000 seed gift, then the God's going to give you nine months of profit over the next 90 days. And I'm watching that, I'm going, ah! It's a, those guys like that push my buttons because they give guys like me a bad name. And I'm thinking, this just smelled bad. It didn't seem right. I didn't like it at all. It bothered me a great deal. And so I understand that for some of you, this is a big deal. This is an issue. What I want to suggest today we're going to take a little different look at this topic, is that perhaps there's some issues behind the issue. Maybe there's something else going on that's a little deeper than just money. I promise you it'll be brief. We'll be pretty quick today. I will be honest, and I, I'm not going to manipulate you in any way. I promise you. I'm going to ask you to listen. Before you judge or get frustrated or walk out of here, listen to what I have to say. Because here's a reality that you probably know, but let me just dial it up for you. Sometimes the issue is not the issue. Sometimes the presenting issue is not the root issue. In life, in our relationships, you've experienced that. You come home from the office, from work, had a bad day. Your boss was a jerk. He ticked you off. You can't yell at him because you'll get fired. So you come home, you walk in the door, and your, your kid says, Hi, Daddy! And you look in the living room where she's just created an incredible mess and you explode all over your little kid. All he did was say, hi, daddy. 
and you are, you know, you've got all this pent up anger and frustration, and, and so you explode on your child. Why? Because the issue is not the issue. It really wasn't the fact that the living room was a little messed up. It's always messed up. Have you had kids? The, the real issue is there's all this stuff that you had going on in your heart that day. Had a couple years ago come into my office for some counseling. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling anymore. We've got great guys on staff that do that. But this couple came in and uh, they, they said, we need some help. And they began to tell me about what was going on. And it was a he said, she said kind of thing. He said, she did this. She said, he did that. And she accused him of being a slob. He accused her of being, you know, a horrible cook. And on and on and on. And I'm listening to all this. And I've been doing this long enough and have dealt with people. I'm, I am not a trained therapist, but I know you probably, there's a root issue. There's something deeper than what's the presenting issue. And so I started to pry a little bit and ask some questions. And long and the short, short of it is what came out of this is that there was a lot of sexual frustration. This guy was really frustrated. And she was frustrated that he was frustrated. And the root issue was not that he was a slob or that she was a lousy cook, though those were both true. The, the root issue was there was something much deeper. There was, a, there was a, an issue behind that. Sometimes, maybe often, the issue is not the issue. There's something else going on. And frequently, I think, when it comes to money, that's the case. It's not just about what's in your wallet or what's in your bank account. It's not just about money. Because we can talk about money in other places. There's something else going on. And, and I want to suggest some possible reasons why this pushes our buttons and be honest with you today about some things. So let's take a look at some potential issues behind the issue of money. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Number one, abuse. One of the issues is we've been spiritually abused. It's that attitude, I don't trust them because they're all a bunch of swindlers. And I find I run into this all the time. And I have already admitted to you, if you didn't catch it, let me say it again, that there is fraud, there is misuse, there is abuse in the church when it comes to money. Yes, the church has failed. The church, capital C, the church at large, and even East Point, we've made our mistakes. And historically, if you know much about church history, uh, the church at large has done some really stupid things with money, things that do not reflect the true values of God's kingdom. They, they have, we have. Uh, some have built these ornate, ridiculously expensive, non-functional buildings with, you know, these crystal cathedrals and, and spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on, on things that just really don't matter. And, and we know instinctively there's something in our hearts that just knows, that eh, that's just, there's something wrong. We just smell it out. We smell it out. We know there's something wrong. And some of us, maybe you're more trusting than others, but you still have been fooled or betrayed, and so abuse is an issue for you as well. Had a conversation with a woman uh, not too long ago. She doesn't go to our church, but she told me about an experience she had where she's watching this TV evangelist. And I, I'm sorry if I saw them, I'm picking on those guys. I'm not intentionally doing that, but some of it they deserve. But this, this, uh, this lady said, watching this TV evangelist, and he said, send me a, your gift of $100, and I will send you uh, a prayer cloth. And it was, it was, I guess, a prayer cloth that had been anointed and and then dipped in the Sea of Galilee, which is the you know, sea that Jesus walked on. So it was supposed to have special powers. So she said, I sent my hundred bucks, and I got my prayer cloth, and guess what? It was made in China. <laughs> and she said, and he promised that if I prayed with this prayer cloth that God would answer all my prayers, and he didn't. And she was mad. She was really ticked off, and I, rightfully so. You can imagine her disappointment now and her distrust of charlatans. When we, when we hear stories like that, there's this righteous indignation that rises up in us. 
And I want to tell you, I, I understand, rightfully so. Proverbs 29, 27 says, The righteous detest the dishonest. The righteous detest the dishonest. And again, I believe there's this part of us that because we are created in the image of God, we have a very uh, internal mechanism that senses injustice. We, we sense when something's not right. We know when something's wrong. We just smell it out because we're born that way. There's something else. You've all heard kids say, that's not fair. You know, eventually they figure out life's not fair. But the, why do they say that? Because there's this part of us that, again, it's an innate ability, God-given ability to sniff out things that just don't make sense. And again, honestly, I told you I'd be honest. I'm going to be honest. The fact is that some churches and some religious ministries abuse the trust of people, and it's tragic, and it's wrong. It's dead wrong. And maybe, maybe that's why some react whenever they hear it mentioned in church, because they've been abused, and their trust has been abused. I understand that. Sometimes the issue is not the issue. And perhaps what they need is forgiveness and healing. Well, let's move on. Here's another potential issue. Number two, poverty. Poverty, this attitude is like you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. That's an old phrase. Uh, and for a while, here's a little meaningless piece of trivia. I uh, grew up on a beet and turnip farm in, outside of Billings, Montana. But you didn't know that about me, huh? Uh, my dad wasn't a farmer, but the farmer had an extra house, and we rented it and lived on this farm. And I can guarantee you, you can't get blood from a turnip. It doesn't happen. Uh, some think that phrase, and again, just a little bit of trivia, you never know when you're going to be in a game show and somebody's going to ask you this question. Where did that phrase come from? Well, here it is. Some speculate it came from all the way back to Cain and Abel, the story of the two brothers in the, in the book of Genesis, and they brought sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Abel brought a blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice. Cain brought vegetable sacrifice. God required a blood sacrifice, and yet you can't get blood, blood from? Yeah, and so that's where the phrase, some think it comes from. Well, whatever you believe. Here's what it means to most of us when we say that. I can't give what I don't have. Can't squeeze blood from a turnip. I can't give what I don't have. And so the issue for people in that situation is they're, they're, they're poor. Had a young single mom come up to me a couple years ago, and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, I really wish I could give to God, but I just don't have the money, and if I, if I gave anything, I, I wouldn't be able to feed my babies. Now, most of us hear a story like that, and man, I have a heart for single moms, you know that. Most of us would have a reasonable and considerate response. We would say, sweetheart, it's okay. I understand. You're a single mom. Just, boy, take care of your babies. God doesn't need your money. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I mean, that would be the reasonable response. But in that moment, talking with her, I had this, hard to describe it, but it was, it was a, a God moment. I knew what I needed to say. And I, and I looked at her. I said, you know, I've been right where you're at. Not a single mom. <laughs> in case you're wondering. But I've been poor. I've been dirt dog poor. I mean, I, I've lived on rice and beans. There, time, there was a time in, in, our, in our family where we were so poor, I literally had to sell stuff in my house to be able to buy food to feed my babies. Sold my guitar, one of my precious possessions, just to have enough money to, pay, to get groceries. So I said, I've been there. I know what it's like. But I looked at her and I said, but let me tell you what I've learned. What I learned in my poverty is that God still asked me to trust him. God still asked me to put my hope in him. And God honors that kind of trust. And then I took her to Mark chapter 12. And it's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It may not be yours, but let me read it to you. Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Jesus is in the, the temple. And there's this spot where there's boxes, so to speak, where they came and would drop off their gifts, their offerings. 
and their, their tithes and offerings to the Lord. And Jesus is sitting there watching that. Interesting. Verse um, 40, 41. Many rich people threw in large amounts. 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They, the fat cats who gave out of their abundance, they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus is watching. He sees all the wealthy come and and give, but it wasn't a sacrificial gift. He sees this poor widow come in. For some reason, I imagine her probably older and maybe a little hunched over, and she pulls out of her pocket two small little coins. That's all she had, and she gives them. And, and the Lord Jesus knew that this was it. This was, she gave all that she had, supernaturally. He knew she was putting it all out there, giving it all. And he's so amazed by that. He said, guys, come here. Get over here. The disciples come, what, what, what? This woman just blew my socks off. I'm paraphrasing. This woman just, <laughs> just amazed me. She She put in all that she had. What did Jesus do? Jesus honored this woman. In fact, her story is recorded in the scriptures for all eternity. Why? Because out of her poverty, she gave all that she had. Jesus honored her. There are two principles here. I'll land on these quickly. They're not on your notes. But two principles here that I want you to understand. The first is this. With God, it's not the size of the gift, but the size of the sacrifice that matters. Consistently, this is taught in the scriptures. With God, it's not the size of the gift. These guys walked in with their big bag full of money. That didn't impress Jesus. It's not the size of the gift. It's the size of the sacrifice. And she gave all that she had. That's the first principle. It's not the size of the gift. It's the size of the sacrifice. The second is this. God honors those who put their hope, trust, and faith completely in him. God honors people who surrender their all and completely put. Putting in all that she had to live on is her way of saying, God, I'm I'm at your mercy. Right now, this is it, and I need you, and I'm putting my hope, my all, my faith in you. After I told that single mom the story of the poor widow, I looked her in the eyes, and I said, listen, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what to give. I wouldn't do that. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to give in a way that honors God, to ask God to show you what he wants you to do, and to, to give out of hope and trust and faith in him. And she responded, well, I was very proud of her for that. Now, here's the deal. Let's just pause, listen. Some of you right now, you see it on a few of your faces, some of you are thinking, that's exactly what I hate about pastors. I can't believe he told that single mom that, you know, she should just trust God. He should have let her off the hook. This, that's why I hate the church. That's why I hate this. Some of you are very frustrated with me right now because you're thinking that's exactly what I don't like about it. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. You know, some are poor because of poor choices, bad choices they've made. Some are poor because of circumstances completely out of their control. They just, the bottom dropped out of the market or whatever. They lost their job and they didn't do anything wrong. Some are poor because of inequity and injustice in our world. Yes, 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 I understand that. But here's my take on this and listen carefully. Regardless of the cause of poverty, regardless of the reason God calls us all to the same path. He doesn't look at some and say, well, you know, you trust me, you're off the hook. You believe in me, now you, I understand your situation. You've got it really tough. You put your faith in me, you, eh, you know what, maybe later. God doesn't do that. 
No matter what we find ourselves in, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, God calls us all to the same path, to trust in him, to put our hope and our confidence in him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the most powerful passages in, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, God, and he'll direct your path. He'll get you where you need to be. Solomon says, trust in the Lord, I love this word, with all, all your heart. Don't hold it back. Don't, there's no part of you that we're to, to not surrender to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But this doesn't make sense. God, I don't, I, I don't get it. Don't lean on what you can figure out on your own understanding. But in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Put him first. Honor him. And the promise is, and it's a promise, God will get you where you need to be. He will direct your path. He'll take care of you. Sometimes it's poverty and it's fear. That's the issue behind the issue. I get that. But again, maybe that's when we need to take a look at, well, what should our response be to God? Here's the third issue, third one, number three, unawareness. Unawareness is another issue behind the issue. And this is the attitude, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I, I don't, I, 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 it's all a mystery to me. And the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of people, uh, probably in our church and certainly in the church at large and in our culture, who are simply uninformed. They for them, the issue is not anger or frustration or poverty. Uh, it's, it's, I use the word, it's ignorance. They just don't get it. And I'm not saying they're ignorant. I'm not making a comment on their IQ, their intelligence. I'm saying they're just uninformed. Many are simply uneducated about what the Bible teaches. And because they are unaware, or because they are uninformed and they have an uninformed perspective, when guys like me talk about money, they just go, I don't get it. I don't understand. They don't have a biblical frame of reference. They're looking at things from a cultural, worldly point of view rather than godly and a biblical point of view. Now, all of us are uninformed in some areas. As smart as you might be, or as much as you think you might know about some things, we all have blind spots. We all have things we don't get, we don't know. My children, children thought they would be much better parent than me until they had their own kids. <laughs> and then they realized it gets it's not as easy as I thought it was. Um, I thought I was a pretty good writer until my editor at Tyndale got a hold of my manuscript. And boy, am I getting schooled. Um, it's been good. But I spent five hours yesterday working on a couple of chapters, the things he wanted me to fix, improve, work on. And it's good. There's things I'm growing. We're all learning. But let me say it again. Sometimes the issue is not the issue. We think we know. We think we got it. We think we've maybe, you know, we, we figured it out. But the truth, we don't know yet. We don't understand some things. And we just need to acknowledge God, teach me. I need to learn. I need to understand. And Jesus was frequently schooling the disciples. Uh, if you read the Gospels, I mean, uh, what's, he, what's he doing there? He's discipling. He's instructing. He's, he's giving them an education all the time, working on their hearts. And he often spoke about money and possessions, about one in seven things that Jesus dealt with in terms of percentage. About one in seven had to do with money or possessions, a lot. You see, the typical mindset in the Jewish culture of that day was that if you had a lot, if you were wealthy, you, had, you were well-to-do, that it was because you were so righteous. The typical attitude was God blesses righteous people, good people, and so if you're poor, it's because you're a sinner and you're a scumbag. If you're rich, it's because you, you've got it all together and you're really righteous. 
But Jesus knew that wasn't the case, that that wasn't true. Yes, God does bless people, but that you can't measure their spirituality based on their possessions or what they have. And so he was constantly challenging the cultural view, the, the scriptural view that some had about this issue. Here's what he taught in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them and where thieves don't break in and steal them. And then verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, don't make it all about what you can acquire, own, hoard, possess. Don't make it about what you can get here on this earth, but instead invest in the eternal. And what's eternal? The kingdom, people. Invest in what really matters. Verse 24, same passage in Matthew 6. Jesus said, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. You cannot, Jesus made it clear, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve, you can't love both God and money. And then verse 33 of Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's his ultimate challenge? Put the kingdom first. That's the education he wanted to bring, the information, the understanding he wanted his disciples and us to live with. It's not about what we can get. It's not about money. It's not about stuff. We don't own it anyhow. It's about him and putting first, seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus turned their thinking on this issue completely upside down. Better said, right side up. He knew that they were uninformed, uneducated, and even ignorant about God's perspective on wealth and money possessions. And perhaps for some of us sitting here or listening, perhaps some of us struggle with just this very same issue. It's not just money. It's we don't understand. We don't have a perspective that is biblical yet and that is godly perspective on this issue. And that needs to change. We need to understand and embrace his teachings. Well, here's one more. Told you I'd be brief. Here's one more possible issue behind the issue. Number four, disagreement. Disagreement. Uh, this is the attitude. says, don't go there because what's mine is mine. <laughs> they, uh, they, they don't, they're not uninformed. They're just obstinate. You see, the teachings that, that, that Jesus presented about money pushed people's buttons all the time. It really pushed the buttons of the Pharisees who tended to be the wealthy. They hated him for it. And he knew that people wouldn't always like what he had to say, that they wouldn't believe it, they wouldn't agree, uh, that, they would, that they would resist the truth. He understood that. And there are some who react and they get really mad when money is taught on, from a biblical perspective. And sometimes they're the ones that I get the scathing emails from. And tragically, sadly, and I do, I say it with, with, uh, with sadness that some have left our church because they just... Um, they resist and reject the Bible's teachings. They're not ignorant or uninformed. The truth is, they think they know better. They think they're smarter than God or they know more than God. And perhaps some of them think they can serve two masters. One more passage I want to read to you. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 6 to 10. While Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, he's on his way, by the way, to Jerusalem to die. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Probably a small jar, but expensive and filled with very expensive, uh, full, potent, expensive perfume. She, she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. 
They were ticked. They were really, really mad. They, this, they were strongly opposed to what they saw. When the disciples saw this woman pouring this expensive jar of alabaster, this jar of perfume on Jesus' head, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Guys, you don't get it. Why are you bothering her? The disciples were in strong disagreement with this extravagant gift of Jesus, this, this extravagant gift to Jesus. Why? Honestly, because they thought they knew better. And in some ways, they thought they knew better than Jesus. They thought they had a better grip, a better understanding of what was right and wrong than he did. Can we just be honest for a minute? And I, I've tried to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm owning my stuff, and I'm, I want you to own yours. But can we be honest and admit that sometimes uh, we operate with an attitude that says we know better than God? We've heard the truth, and we're not ignorant of it. We're not unaware. We, we've heard it. But we basically reject it because, eh, we, we think we're smarter or that we know more than God, God's word. Sometimes we struggle with strong opinions and we react rather than respond. And, you know, I, I get strong opinions. I am an opinionated guy. I will tell you this. I'm not as opinionated as I used to be. Uh, when I was in my 20s, if, if some of you had known me in my 20s, you would have said he's pugnacious, arrogant, cocky, argumentative, because guess what? I was pugnacious. I mean, I, 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 I thought I knew so much more, and I'd get nose to nose and fight with people over stuff, and we'd have these mean, ugly, theological debates about stuff. And here's what I've learned. I don't know squat. I know so. The more I learn of the Bible, the more I've, I've studied the Scriptures for over 30 years, the more I learn, the more I realize what I don't know. The more I realize, man, there's, I, I, I might have this. I might understand stand this, this. This might be something that I get. But there's so many other things that I, it's unknown. Now, when the Bible is clear, we can be clear. The Bible says, don't lie, don't lie. Don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Love God, love God. The Bible's clear about a lot of things. But you get the fact that there's some things that are not clear, apparently because God didn't really care about it being clear. Because we don't have a, a definitive answer on everything. But man, some of us, we go nose to nose. We get mean with our understanding of something. And I tell you guys, there are things I held on to in my 20s that I've done a, I've done a 180 on. I mean, things I used to believe that, uh, maybe that's not, maybe, that, I, I, I used to be an avid, I mean, argumentative, mean pre-tribber. Of course he's coming back before the tribulation. Some of you are going, what's he talking about? It's, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what I am now? You've heard me say it before. I'm a, I'm a pan-trib. I'm going to see it all pans out. I have no idea. Because I've heard really smart guys, all the, uh, you know, all the different views. And sometimes it's, who did, what smart person did I read last? That's my opinion. <laughs> guys, my point in this is that sometimes we make our opinions more important than they should be. And we reject people and truth and God. And we get all upset and frustrated over things that really we'll find out when we get there what it really means. Sometimes we react when we should respond. And sometimes, here's one last thing I've noticed, sometimes our wallets are the last thing to get saved. The last thing that we surrender to God. I've watched people come into relationship with Jesus and they fall in love with him. They realize that God's 
grace and gift is a, is a free gift to them and, and uh, they embrace his forgiveness. And yet, sometimes the last thing they, they hold on to, and some of them don't ever let it go, is, is their stuff. Their wallets, the last things they surrender to God. But when Jesus calls us, he calls us to surrender it all. It's a, it's a 100% deal with him. It's not, God, here's my, you know, my 80 or 60 or 70 or 50%. It's all. I'm all in. God, it's all for you. But sometimes we hold on and we are afraid or sometimes we've been abused or sometimes we're uninformed. But sometimes, can I just be honest again, sometimes it really is an issue of surrender. I have a dear friend of mine who, um, this is 20 years ago now, came to know Jesus, gave his life to Christ, um, was a brilliant guy, and very gifted, uh, had his own business, and he created a product that he actually ended up making just a boatload of money with. It was very, very successful. And I watched him. I watched my friend Mark over the years drift further and further and further away from God. The more he had, the further he was from Jesus. Why? Because he hadn't surrendered that part of his life to Christ. I want to humbly suggest to you that sometimes the issue behind the issue is surrender. We get frustrated and mad and upset because we really don't want to surrender our all to Jesus. If you've been abused, if someone has mistreated you and, and they've abused your trust, then I want to encourage you to forgive them and to let it go, to not carry that bitterness. If you are poor and you feel like, man, I just can't, I want to encourage you to trust God. I'm not telling you what that looks like. I'm telling you trust him. Find a way that demonstrates your honor and trust and confidence in God. Some of you are uninformed and you think, man, I still don't get all this. There's a lot I need to learn. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep finding out more about what God teaches. Read the Gospels. And the next time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make note of every time Jesus talks about money or possessions and learn from the word of God. And some of you, the truth is, some of you have been holding on to stuff you need to surrender. And maybe you've been holding on to money and stuff and possessions. And the reason why you react is because you really haven't surrendered that part of your life to him. I can say with confidence that God wants you to surrender your all to him. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, I, I pray that you'd work in our hearts right now. This really is a heart issue. At whatever level, uh, for, for, for us, Lord, this is a heart issue. And I pray that you'd reveal to us the issue behind the issue. If there's something else going on, that you'd show us where we need to, to change, give us understanding, help us see what perhaps we haven't seen. Open our eyes, open our hearts. The truth is, God, uh, some in the church have made it all about money, but really what it's all about, and God, I know this is my heart and our heart here at East Point, it's all about people. It's all about people. So help us to live, Lord, with that understanding. Help us to resource the church and the kingdom because we see it's all about people. It's about extending and expanding your kingdom. And God, help us to surrender our all to you. I'm asking you to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe once upon a time, long time ago, you prayed a prayer, you made a decision, but you've wandered far from God. You know it. Maybe you've never made a decision to say yes to God, but you know right now, right here, that's what you need to do. I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out, but if you're here today and you want to embrace the grace of God, that free gift of his grace and mercy, 
and, and it began your life as a Christ follower, and you know that's what you want, that's what you need, I'm going to pray this simple prayer. Now, the issue is what's in your heart. If you believe in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. But you can express that through this prayer. And I just want you to, if you're here and you want that, just make this prayer yours right now. Father, forgive me. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need your grace and your mercy in my life. I need you. And so I surrender. I surrender all. Jesus, I get it. You surrendered your life for me. And now, in response to that love, I want to surrender my life to you. So right here, right now, I'm making the decision to become a Christ follower or to return home, to become your child, your daughter, to walk with you from here into eternity. Now, if that's you, it's your own heart against say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. Lord, for those saying yes to you, seal in their hearts what you are doing. Show them that you're going to be with them every step along the way. Fill them with your spirit and give them, Lord, eyes to see you like they've never seen you before as their Savior, their Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together. Ushers are going to come. We're going to take our offering. Again, if you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. It's not about money, it's about people. But we're going to give. And if they've got that communication card, you can drop it in the basket. But listen to me. Listen, guys. Some of you, you start to check out right now. You're getting your purse and your coat, and you're not thinking about this part. This part right here may be the most important part of the service for you. Not because we're passing the bag. It's going to be the most important part because right here, you can have an encounter with God where you can surrender. I asked James to do this song. I love this song, and it's a new song. I know we don't usually do new songs at the end. But I'm asking you to sing this as a prayer and to check your heart. Are you surrendered to him? Will you surrender your all to him? Let's sing this, this song and surrender. Make it your prayer, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I don't think it's a more powerful prayer than those two words, I surrender. I surrender. I'm going to cry our hearts. God, I want to know you more. I want to be more like you, Jesus. If today you began your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. Let them know. We want to walk with you in this journey. There's, on the tables by the doors, there's a packet. This is for new believers. It's got a Bible and some material. Get you started your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Give you prayer. Prayer to me be down front. There's communion on both sides of the room. But I want you to go today with that heart saying, God, I surrender. You know, my grandson, one last little story, and I'll let you go. Coming down, this week, bringing him to the building. He was spent some time at our house. And he's two years old. In the back seat, and a song comes on the radio, I Surrender. It's his favorite song. He's two years old. Loves this song. And I look in the rear view mirror, I kid you not, he's got his hands up. And he's singing with all his might. I surrender. <laughs> and I thought, you know, Lord, that's what I want to be like. Desperate for you. Unashamed of following you, loving you, serving you with all that I am. Check out the life group tables. Go live a surrendered life this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.